0: This morning we continue the faculty lecture series Dangerous Ideas and I am very excited to hear Dr. Amy Bagby this morning so I will be brief. Here are a few things you may know. Amy, uh, Dr. Bagby serves in our education department and has been serving there since 2009. She's a graduate of Covenant College of UTC with a PhD from Mercer University. And while we can't talk about it right now, her, her research is interesting and you can even ask her how it's taken her to Finland, which is pretty cool. She's not only taught Covenant College students, but also seventh graders in Dade County, first graders in inner city Chattanooga, etc. She has great experience. Here are a couple of things that you need to know, but probably don't. Number one, she was part of a clown ministry in her youth. Number two, She was a horse wrangler at summer camp. And number three, and these all come directly from her husband, number three, she still lives with her parents, and if you know her parents, like I've said before, I wish I lived there too. But seriously, Amy and her husband, Greg, who's a school principal at Barger Academy, and their children, Chris and Hannah, are an amazing family. Any of you who have spent time with them will quickly see that, I always stand Stunned by how much, how active they are in our community, in our church, and at Covenant. They live with integrity, grace, and faithfulness. We have much to learn from Dr. Bagby. Please join me in welcoming her.
1: Thank (laughs) you. There's some good stories there. I'll have to tell them to you sometime. I want to start by thanking Nabil for sharing that music with us. I had the blessing of growing up uh, under the music of James Ward. And many of his songs are like the background music to my life. Um, And I feel very honored that my children now get to grow up under the music of Nabil. And not only do they get to watch his example of manhood, um, they also get to have now his songs reverberating in their brains, and it's something I'm very grateful for. Good morning. I've been asked to share with you today my rendition of Dangerous Mi- uh, dangerous Ideas, Dangerous Minds. Isn't that a TV show or something? There are many directions I could have taken with this topic, and so in choosing, I decided to reflect a little bit about something that the Lord uses as a recurring theme in my life and something that is currently highly relevant. However, before I jump right into that, I believe that in all things, context matters. And so I wanna begin by telling you a little bit uh, about me. My childhood was charmed. My earliest memories are as happy as could be imagined. I grew up in a family with four siblings and with parents who have remained married, and this summer we'll celebrate 43 years of marriage, a testament to the Lord's blessing in their lives and in mine. Multiple siblings meant that I always had someone to play with. If I was mad at one of my siblings, I could just simply go and find another one who was happy to adventure with me. It also meant that there were enough people for backyard games of basketball and kickball And this was not an unusual activity for the seven of us after dinner. Usually my parents would organize it. Some of my favorite memories are of the seven of us spending time out in the backyard playing such games together. You have to remember, this was at a time before we each had our own personal devices to which we gave hours a day. And there were three television stations, so there were very limited choices. And so we spent hours outside imagining adventuring, creating, exploring. was an absolutely fabulous way to grow up. Of course, as is evidenced by these pictures, I did suffer from the family afro. (laughs) In these pictures, my brother has not yet acquired this particular look. However, in puberty, puberty, they too would soon discover the joys. What a perfectly terrible time to all of a sudden be left with two hairstyle choices either the afro or the buzz cut. One of my brothers did attempt to grow his hair out, and he amounted to this mound of curls upon the top of his head. And so we oh so lovingly nicknamed him Broccoli Head. (laughs) Of course, this was also a nickname that I could have easily been called at multiple times in my life. Uh, And despite the hardships of these terrible hairstyles that would put us in the running for awkward family photos, my family was very stable. We didn't have much extra, but we were happy. And this loving family provided a foundation from which I was launched into the world. I had every opportunity to be successful. I did grow up in the United States and so that automatically gives you some evidence of the way in which I was influenced by culture. Here in the land of opportunity where we hear things like, you can be anything you want to be, even the President of the United States. And though to the second grade me, that wasn't quite the same reality as it is for second grade girls in our in the schools across America today, I was still fed with this constant diet that anything was possible that I was only limited by my own lack of motivation or personal drive, that with the correct level of commitment and willingness to hard work, I had every opportunity made available to me. I ought to claim what is rightfully mine. And this felt right. I mean, after all the Lord had gifted me, and as his child, he had invested heavily in me, what reason did I have to think that he did not wish for me to be happy? healthy, sexually satisfied, and successful in everything that I did. In addition, the marketing philosophers that are the media fed me a steady diet of images, convincing me that I was in a position of power. I had choices in life. Of course, they hoped that those choices would include Coca-Cola. And Burger King wanted me to know that I could have it my way. I didn't have to settle for the prescribed. I could make additions and subtractions and substitutions. After all, I was the consumer. I had the right to make demands. McDonald's had their own take on this same basic theme that what you want is what you get. And while you're at it, since you're working so hard, you deserve a break. Why not? Treat yourself to something nice. After all, don't I deserve to be treated that way? Apple encouraged me to break the mold, not to be satisfied with the status quo. Though, like all these other advertisers, they too were very eager to make some some suggestions as to how I might ought to think. And now that I was equipped with this continuous theme running in my head, that it was all about me. The world was my playground and I was king of the hill. Nike encouraged me to throw caution to the wind, don't overthink it, just do it. Fortunately, in addition to these messages that were bombarding my senses and demanding recognition, I was also heavily influenced by the church. In my childhood years, we, church wasn't just something we did on Sunday mornings. We attended church twice on Sundays and on Wednesdays, and it was not unusual for there to be gatherings of individuals in the congregation throughout the week for various activities. I was very involved in the summer ministry at my church, and for many years, the youth group was my lifeline. I came to know the Lord very early in life. As a matter of fact, I cannot even name a time when the Lord was not a reality in my life. So each of our backgrounds is different. None of you experienced exactly what I did growing up. Some of you did not grow up in Christian families or did not have the influence of the church. And hopefully, none of you had to endure families with family photos with matching hairstyles. However, there are things that are likely to be very similar in our contexts. Even if you didn't grow up in the United States, the culture in which we find ourselves today feeds us a constant theme of self-centeredness, instant gratification, have it your way, just do it, live for yourself. And those marketing philosophers now have new and shiny ways to feed us their messages. The dramas that are played out on TV and in the movies are a steady diet of these same refrains. I can do what I want, be what I want, my choices are endless. These messages can lead us to all sorts of terrible places, causing us to believe that we are allowed to participate in any variety of activities, living only for ourselves and eventually taken to their extremes, allowing these falsehoods to rule our lives. And none of us is untouched. Something is plaguing you, just as something is plaguing me. Examples might be stress and anxiety for all sorts of reasons, over our bodily health or our grades or family concerns. Anxiety can be debilitating. It swallows us whole. It claims our entire attention. Another plague might be the temptation to control our food, whether that be too much or too little. Or perhaps the anxiety is one of sexual perversion, ranging from premarital sex, cohabitation, pornography, sex trafficking, the list goes on, to any number of activities that we rationalize as being our right to engage in. Here I want to introduce you to my dangerous idea. I am not my own. See, 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And there are additional places in John, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, where similar language is used, this language of belonging to God. Now, I'll admit that my response to this statement, I am not my own, is not singular, and my heart does not readily respond positively. Perhaps it's because of this word bought, the implication of a transfer of money, bought with a price, and the sense of bondage it conjures, a reminder of the slavery of the past or the sex trafficking trade of today, we tend to respond strongly due to our cultural connection with slavery. The sense of ownership, we want to resist it. Indeed, the metaphor is marred by the fall. It's been mucked up, and it invokes in our minds this damaged and weak model of what it means to belong to the Lord. And yet at the same time, this is a very serious and heavy concept. We ought to be forced to stop and consider, what does it mean if I am not my own? In addition to being my response to being told I am not my own is to shake my fist at God. This is partly because of my sin nature and partly because of the culture in which we find ourselves, particularly as a female influenced by the the, uh, feminism of today that tells me that I have the ability to not only equal my male counterparts, but in many ways to surpass them because not only am I gifted with intelligence, but also with empathy. This combination of my sin nature and these cultural influences well up in me a response of, what do you mean? I'm not my own. I have a brain. I have a will. I could do what I want, become what I want. Don't put a limit on me. But here I must interrupt my own thought process. But Jesus. You see, I firmly believe that our Heavenly Father is good and right in all that he does. And out of love and gratitude for the God of creation, who knows better than we do, I must agree with who he says he is and who he says I am. It all starts with my eyes on Jesus. As a Christian, I am governed by the laws of God, and I must, above all, fear God. He is righteousness. His way is above our way. All truth is in Him, and He has disseminated to us in His Word the way in which He would have us to live. Therefore, I must believe when He tells me, I am not my own. If this is not true, if I am not my own, I believe what 1 Corinthians 6 says, it reorients everything in my life. No aspect is left untouched. It requires a shift, calls me to reconsider my relationship with God, my relationship with the world, and my relationship with myself. You know that inner dialogue, that conversation that is continual inside my own head, that's trying to convince me that I'm all right? This, too, is altered in the truth that I am not my own. I have to submit to that concept, to accept the statement. And this is radical, life-changing, and indeed a dangerous idea. You see, it's all fine and good as long as the way I'm living lines up with what the Lord requires of me. But what about when I'm not living that way? What about when I'm living in direct opposition to the Lord's command? What about it feels so good and it seems so right? Doesn't the Lord desire that I be happy? Wouldn't he prefer that I'm healthy, wealthy, and satisfied? In those moments, will I believe that I am not my own? That he has a better plan, that in his position as omnipotent, He sees and knows things that I cannot? Will I believe that the system he has set into place for me is good, is for my protection and ultimately his glory? Will I choose to accept that I am not my own and instead seek to uphold his ways? Believing I am not my own has implications for my interaction with the world. If I am not my own, then my heart follows after my father's heart, and his heart is about the weak and the disenfranchised, the widow and the orphan. Therefore, this has ramifications for the things that claim my attention in this world. In my own life, this is meant mercy ministry in the church, as well as seeking social justice, particularly in a school setting. Addressing issues of race and socioeconomic status, especially as they impact children. These two issues alone play a significant role in hindering students' academic achievement and their potential for human flourishing. As a teacher in an inner-city school, I sought to correct these injustices. This meant providing my students with a high-quality education, requiring that I spend significant amounts of time preparing lessons each day, honing my craft through professional development, spending extra time and money in my classroom. But at times, it also meant feeding my students and clothing my students and giving them the emotional support they needed when I discovered the abuses they endured. And now, as a teacher educator, I hope to instill in my students the capacity that they too will need to be agents of social justice in their classrooms. So what does a statement like, I am not my own, have to do with issues like race? I admit that when issues of race come to the forefront, my first reaction is often anger and it's followed by a quick secondary reaction of defense. I deploy my deflector shields, and I become defensive against attacks. I feel as though I must defend those I love, and I, above all, I must preserve my own argument, ultimately protecting this sense of being right. But if I am not my own, changes the argument changes my response. I'm still called to engage with difficult topics, but I know the end of the story. I know my savior is victorious, and so in this momentary battle, I can instead of being protective of self, drop those shields and instead stand in the gap as a champion for the underdog and the marginalized. What about when all's going well? When my bank account is full, my body is healthy and trim, and let's say I just received some fabulous award. In that moment, will I choose to believe that I am not my own? Will I resist that old nagging temptation to believe that it's all about me? I would love to think that in times when things are going well, that It is all due to my own abilities, my innate intelligence. It's because I worked harder and had more drive than my peers. However, when things in my life are going my way, just as when they are not, I am still not my own. I must allow this truth to alter the way I think about myself, to take my pride in check, and remind myself that God is the source of my strength. That it is through him that I draw the very breath in my lungs, and it is him that sustains the beating of my heart, and surely it is him who works in me to accomplish these things. I would love to be able to tell you that now that I've been enlightened by this truth that I am not my own, that I wake up every morning perfectly willing and able to live as though I belong to the Lord. And even though my father looks at me and what he sees as his perfect son, that is not the full reality of my situation. Because the old sin nature is still present and it frequently creeps in. Perhaps the best example of my inability to live as though I am not my own is with my own family. I know you were hoping for some exciting, edgy, wild example, but where I find it the hardest to live as though I am not my own is in the mundane, in the daily living, uh, in the daily laying down of my own life. I have been given a fabulous family. The Lord has blessed me with a super cute husband, two gorgeous children, and I adore them. There is nothing on this earth more precious to me. My very being is devoted to them. I'm grieved to the core when I consider the pain that this world has brought and will continue to bring into their lives. Yet I do a pitiful job of loving them well. See, I wake up every morning full of myself and the thoughts of my own comfort how I can find happiness, what will today bring that will satisfy me? This old idol, this idol of self, causes my family to feel to me like a bother and a burden, an interruption to my own desires. They require that I reschedule my time, that I forfeit my pleasures, that I accommodate their schedule that I think about their happiness and success. I must set aside what I want in order to consider their needs. This causes that idol of selfhood to rise up within me and cry, what about me? What about what I want? What about my plans? I know this sounds pretty sick, that I would resist caring for my own family The one thing in the world that I hold truly more important than anything else. The one thing that I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I would lay down my own life for. Yet this is the way of the sinful nature with its deception and lies. The devil whispers in my ear and he tries his best to convince me that I am what is most important, that I should rank first, that I ought to be happy. But if I am not my own, then my pet idol, which in this case is myself, must be set aside. For I have been called to be a wife and a mother, and these honorable roles require that I, I lay down my life for the needs of my family. And as this title, the title of this chapel alludes, these are dangerous ideas so I wonder, is it safe? Is it safe to give up so much control, to allow the Lord so much power over my life? As the author of the song, James Ward says, I can't explain how belonging to you can make me truly free. Yet I remain in the joy that I knew when I first came to see your love for me. I can attest to that freedom. Can you recall the joy that you knew when you first came to know the Lord? Can you remember those moments in your story when you rested in the arms of your father and let go of the anxieties of this world? My earthly father is an excellent representation of my Heavenly Father. And so I can very easily picture myself crawling up in the lap of my Heavenly Father and allowing him to wrap his arms around me, to hold me against his chest with the knowledge that he is writing my story and I can trust him. I am not my own but I belong to a father whose love ran so deep that he purchased me with the blood of his own son. When the devil begins to whisper in my ear and the lies of our culture become overwhelming, I have a habit of rehearsing to myself the attributes and promises of God. He is my salvation. I have been marked by him. Saved by grace, raised with Christ, seated with him. He is my rock, my hiding place, a shelter from the storm, deliverer, sustainer. He hears me when I call. In him, I am made alive. He is king forever. And one refrain that becomes frequent in my time of distress I am not my own." And in rehearsing this phrase to myself, I'm reminded that he died to make me his. And this is a dangerous place to find myself because it requires that I reorient my life. It requires a complete reversal of who the world tells me I ought to be. It means a constant battle against my own selfish desires. Unfortunately, the truth that I am not my own is not neat and pretty. I cannot give you the precise answers to your particular scenarios. In his song, James Ward also admits that there are still questions running in my mind, still answers I can't find. And though these anxieties may come and go, there's one truth that I can know. I am not my own. I belong to you. We've not been given all the answers. We will continue to struggle. But in the end, we find that it is safe. As a matter of fact, it's the safest place we can be. It is here that we find peace, resting in the Father's arms, and knowing that we are his. Do you believe it? Have you allowed it to reorient your life? Can you stake your claim along with me that I am not my own? In the good and in the bad, when I succeed and when I fail, I am not my own. I am bought with a price. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning in the midst of our anxieties and our worries, we come before you offering praise because you are a God who is so worthy of our praise. You have claimed us, you have paid the ultimate price, and you have made us yours. Thank you for not leaving us on our own, but instead sending your Son. Thank you for the continual reminder in my own life that I am not my own. Help us all to live in light of this truth. Go before us this day in the knowledge that we are yours. Amen.